Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Leticia Niego, Vice President of Learning for the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. And I'm Christina Eanes, the 2021 Director of Virtual Programs. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hupka, the Vice President of Finance. We also have Helena Hodges, who is our Director of Technology and Operations, as our producer. For today's episode, we are interviewing Thane Belemo. Thane is a leadership and organizational cultural leader, designer, innovator, and consultant. He is also a speaker an author, and a storyteller. Welcome, Thane. Hi, Leticia. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, before we jump into our topic today, please share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Okay. Um, So I'm a uh, career organizational development consultant. I started out actually as a a history major in college and then realized I had a bright future in either the food service or custodial fields and needed to figure out a way to make money. So I went into uh, IT, became an IT director for a while, and then um, was involved in a uh, chemical manufacturing company who had to figure out how to survive in a globalized world. This was back in like the 90s. Um, And so I found uh, that I was thrust into um, a scenario where uh, of organizational development, transforming a culture from what it was into something different that could be um, competitive. And that was an incredible uh, learning experience. And it introduced me to the field, which I hadn't to that point, even I didn't even know existed. Um, that was kind of in the earlier days of, of organizational development. Um, it's, it's certainly become a lot more of a, a robust field now, but um, that's how I kind of got into it. And from there, I just, you know, did a, a pretty typical, I think, L&D and organizational development tra- career trajectory, you know, executive coaching, training, learning and development. And now I, I more focus on uh, organizational design and, and uh, you know, highly effective teams and, and leadership development. Yeah, thank you. This is great. So let's tap into your expertise for our listeners. Today, we're going to talk about teamwork. And you did a very insightful presentation to our chapter at our virtual conference last December when we discussed being a change agent. And so in your presentation on teamwork, you mentioned something that was very interesting. It was about important work versus non-important work. How is that relevant when it comes to working on teams? Well, you know, so in my career, I am often called upon to help organizations um, develop high-performing teams. And what I've noticed is that, you know, we have a deep desire in our organizations for teams that uh, exhibit the attributes that we would associate with a high-performing team. And that's, you know, things like discretion, high levels of discretionary effort and trust and, um, you know, high levels of engagement. And what I noticed was that um, those attributes are much more likely to manifest themselves on teams when those teams are engaged in important work, when those teams are engaged in work that they feel is important. And, you know, the opposite is also true. When teams are engaged in non-important work or work that the team doesn't feel is that important, those 
uh, attributes of high-performing teams are very unlikely to manifest themselves. Those teams are typically uh, teams that have low discretionary effort or, you know, variable levels of engagement. Um, and so, you know, that kind of led me down this this road of thinking about, you know, that it is important, the kind of work we do. And, and so I'd have people come to me and say, you know, help us build these high performing teams. And, you know, one of the first questions I asked was, well, you know, is the work important? And I get a lot of puzzled looks by that because I think that in a lot of organizations, all work is sort of considered important, but it's not. And, you know, differentiating between important and non-important work is important when you're th- trying to create high-performing teams. If you're going to vector non-important work to, to, to teams, then you cannot expect them to be high-performing. It's almost, you know, sort of a tautology. It's, it just doesn't really happen. So it's important how we frame our work. Um, it's important to, to help the team understand why the work is, is important and that it is actually important. Um, I guess I can't sort of stress that enough. And I don't think that we spend uh, enough time sort of thinking about that. And, and we just sort of think that, again, all work is important, but it's definitely not. Wow, this makes complete sense to me. And um, I can see how people can be surprised to hearing that. But to me, it makes so much sense. I know that as a professional, when I feel that my work is important and valued, I tend to give a little bit more oomph, so to speak. So uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the benefits that results from high-performing teams long after the team has been disbanded? Sure, sure. So there, there's two angles to this, really. Um, so, you know, the first angle is that you have teams to, to do, you know, to accomplish important work, and they can certainly get a lot of um, important work done together. Uh, the second angle to this is that it in, in the doing of that important work, right, in the struggle to accomplish whatever it is that that team uh, is trying to accomplish, um, re- the team, high-performing teams generally develop what I call, well, what we all call high level of trust. Like that's one of the attributes of high-performing teams, but also this sense of community, right? Where teams, where the people on the team are not only dedicated to the accomplishment of whatever important work they're trying to do, but they end up being dedicated to each other and to the success of each other. And even after the work is done, those relationships, that sense of community lives on, right? So people leave the team and go off to work on different teams. Maybe they go to different departments. Maybe they go to other parts of the organization. But that relationship is still there. They can call each other up. They, they, they often, they typically maintain those relationships and, and, you know, brainstorm ideas, for example, help each other out with problems they're trying to solve. So leveraging that dynamic, organizations can benefit you know, far beyond just the accomplishment of whatever work that team um, was tasked to do. Uh, The organization benefits greatly by these uh, relationships that live on after the team. And and over time, you know, many of these relationships are forming across the organization. And uh, you tend to see um, a broader sort of organizational level of engagement. But again, it's not just to the work, it's to each other. And, uh, and that makes sense, right? That's kind of how human beings are. That's how they work, right? Human beings build relationships with each other. And, um, you know, that's natural. That, you know, no one had to teach human beings to, to do that. 
That's how we work. And understanding that dynamic and, and leveraging it um, is a powerful tool in organiza that organizations can use to, to not only, you know, again, accomplish important work, but to build that sense of trust and community across your organization. Wow, that's interesting you say that. When I think back in my career, I have definitely, in the times that I've moved to different teams, kept those relationships, and it has helped me in ways that I may not have expected. So um, that's a very good point. Now, Thane, there's something to be said for the impact of the leadership of the team when it comes to the way in which they frame the importance of the work. And you kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. How do you think that impacts the potential of their teams? Well, it, it, tremendously. I mean, you know, so if we understand that the importance of important work in developing high-performing teams, um, it behooves leaders to think about carefully and purposefully about how they, they frame the work. And I will say, first of all, you have to decide whether the work is important or not. And again, not all work is important. And it's okay that it's not important, right? Everybody knows that in all organizations, there's a lot of stuff has to be done and it all is sort of uh, all that work falls upon some spectrum of importance, right? Some work is super important and some work is just not that important, but it's just work that has to be done. Leaders need to be honest about it because everybody knows that that's the, the reality, right? And it's okay to go to a team and say, you know what, this isn't all that important in the big picture, but let's bang it out. Let's do a great job and, and, you know, and take care of it. People can understand that and people will respond better to that than trying to sell them on non-important work, you know, that trying to make it into important work. We've all seen this, right? The, the something comes along, it's like, oh, it's critically important. And, you know, and, and everybody kind of knows it's not, or worse, we frame it as important. And then we betray the trust of our people by, you know, in the end, not funding it, not properly supporting the work. And everybody kind of ends up realizing that it never really was that important. So leaders need to be careful about, about this and to really, you know, think long and hard about where, where does this work fall along that sort of continuum of importance and honestly portray it that way to the team. And again, you know, most people can handle the idea that we all, we all have to do on, you know, unimportant and routine, administrative, whatever kind of work uh, at times. And that's okay. Um, when you do actually have important work, they'll trust the fact that when you say it is important. So I think that's a critical component there. And again, something that we don't think too much about. And I think organizations spend a lot of time trying to justify uh, or, or to market unimportant work as important or indeed to do work that's unimportant, right? I call it marketing work. A lot of, I see a lot of organizations do work because they want to be sort of like, oh, look at us. We've done something here. Um, it's not maybe that terribly important, but you kind of feel like as an organization, you got to do something. So uh, they do work to sort of market their organization or their department. Um, this is all very transparent to people. Everybody knows this. So I think it's uh, important to just be honest about it and to uh, think carefully about how you purposely frame uh, work to your teams. Yeah, so true. I mean, a key takeaway I hear here is transparency, and it is definitely one of the areas where it makes sense to have that and leverage it. Um, how would you recommend leaders empower their teams to create trust and community? You've touched on that a little bit, but tell us more. 
Well, so the idea of empowering teams to create trust and community is a little bit like off the mark. So trust and community are outcomes, right? Um, trust and community are not things that we sort of purposefully create. They are outcomes that happen when teams struggle together to accomplish difficult things. So, you know, I define teams as, you know, groups of people working together to accomplish important things that requires the efforts and engagement of everyone on the team. And so important work, if you frame the team correctly, it's important work, but it's also um, difficult work, right? It's, it, and I don't mean that in, in like a negative way. I mean that it takes effort to accomplish it. Right. And when groups of people are engaged together, right, in important work that takes effort to accomplish, the struggle of accomplishing it together creates trust and community, right? You end up having to rely on one another to accomplish this task. You end up having to leverage the talents of everybody on the team in order to be successful. People begin to value each other, what they bring to the team. And it is in the the sort of mutual mutual suffering, if you will, that the team endures together, that trust and community are built. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny you say that. I'm thinking of a term that I've heard a lot and um, I know is very important to what we do, which is a high performance. And so in some cases, we've got to build processes to ensure curiosity and challenges lead to high performing teams that have trust. How do you anticipate or would you suggest that people try and build these kind of processes so that the team indeed performs on a high level? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what I recommend is 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 building processes that create what I call a curiosity culture and challenge culture. Um, you know, teams that cannot challenge each other effectively are doomed, right? You have to be able to argue with each other, right? Challenge each other, debate and struggle with what, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. What's the best way to do this? What's the best outcome? And it is through that sort of challenge and debate that the best we arrive at the best answers, right? We leverage the innovative capacity of everyone on the team, their expertise, their knowledge, their perspective. And hopefully we have, you know, diverse perspectives and people coming at these things with from different angles. And it is through the struggle of that challenge that we get to the best answer. And so leaders have the opportunity to sort of build that into their um, team cultures, right? So um, one um, I, uh, thing that I recommend to leaders all the time is like, when someone disagrees with you, the first thing you should say, the first thing you should always say is tell me more, right? Tell me more. And keep saying, tell me more until you understand their perspective, right? The idea is to get all of the relevant information on the table. And the idea is for everyone on the team to be curious, right? Be curious about this different perspective that doesn't align with yours potentially. And that's okay because it is through, again, wrestling with these ideas that we get to the best uh, solution. So one thing you can do is, is processize that, right? When there's a disagreement, tell me more. Um, another uh, idea is this idea of, of um, actively soliciting challenge, right? And leaders can set the stage for that, right? Leaders, I encourage leaders all the time that, to say, tell me why I'm wrong. You know, this idea I have, I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. 
in your staff meetings, in your huddles, in your planning sessions, wherever it is that you're talking about, you know, the path forward and the and the solution. Leaders have the opportunity to set the stage, right, by encouraging people that work for them to challenge them. I want you to challenge me. So, you know, every time a leader uh, says, I, you know, may, I think we might, this is the path I think we should go on. Tell me why I'm wrong. And reward people who actively challenge you. Right. When people speak up and say, hold on a second, I, I, I disagree with that or I don't think that's the right approach. Reward them. And I don't mean give them a gift card or money. It, 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 <laughs> you know, thank you for, for doing that. Make it safe for people to do that. Um, you know, I see far too many teams and I'm sure we all have where disagreement is not welcome. Disagreement needs to be not only welcomed, but rewarded. Right. Because the idea is it, it is through the challenge that we get to the best answer. And when people feel safe to challenge and rewarded for challenging, they will. And that's what you want. I mean, if you're a leader of a team, you, you know, that's the reason you have a team. You have a team because, every you know, you get the, the, the perspective of a bunch of different people. If you knew everything, then you just could just do it yourself. <laughs> or just get, you know, uh, hire some contractors to do it for you. You know, you build teams because you need um, the different ideas and perspective of the team to be successful. Excellent advice for teams and organizations now f and excellent advice for, I mean, teams in uh, nonprofits and volunteers like we have for our chapter. We're all volunteers. Is there any additional thing that you would recommend for leading in, in high-performing teams of volunteers? I, you know, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that, you know, when people, I mean, you're volunteering, obviously, because you care enough about what whatever it is that you're volu volunteering for, right? I yes. Mean, people who volunteer for, for, you know, ATD or food banks or uh, helping the homeless or, you know, whatever it is that people volunteer for, they already have sort of this intrinsic motivation to do that, right? But... You're all there to do something good, right? To to make to make some change or make something happen that you feel is important. And so the dynamic of of that is the same, right? You're you're trying to accomplish something that you feel is important. And you know the extent to which you guys, you know, people volunteers that are on a team all have a sense that what it is they're doing is important. The same rules apply. Right. You, right. You, you want to have good challenge. You want to be, have a sense of curiosity so that you guys can navigate um, your challenges and come to the best uh, solution. So I don't know that I would say that, you know, anything is special, that we would do anything special for volunteer organizations, groups of people trying to accomplish things, whatever it is, if it's important, um, the, you know, the same sort of dynamic applies. Right. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. Right. So, cause they could, they're so easily can walk away much more than we can in a job. So I, I love to your advice on, you know, making sure they're engaged and being respectful and encouraging, you know, differing of opinion. So I think that all works out great for volunteers too. Thank you. I think so. But I want to add one thing, like, you know, you said, you know, to be respectful and obviously that's important, but I think we're too respectful in organizations sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. I mean, I, I think that we need to be get better at disagreeing. And, you know, that is in my career watching high performing teams, the teams that can disagree 
the best, right? The teams that can disagree with each other most uh, constructively um, are the most successful. The teams that tend to shy away from disagreement under sort of this umbrella of we have, well, we all have to be respectful and we all have to, I mean, obviously you can't, you know, be insulting people, but, you know, disagreeing is, you know, we can't shy away from disagreeing and, and, and to strongly disagree, right? To say, I know, I think that is a bad idea. And here's why. And to then respond to that with, well, tell me more about why. Okay. And then you can begin to negotiate. As long as everybody knows that this, we're all here for the benefit of the important work that we're trying to accomplish, then in the end, that challenge ends up being welcome. Those are some great tips. I really like what you are saying when you focus on the constructive criticism. Uh, we all definitely benefit from a little dose of that every once in a while. And the tell me more tip, I think, is one that I'm definitely going to take away. Now, Thane, what would you say can be the role of a team member, not a leader, but a team member who wants to be part of a high-performing team? In other words, what are some things that they can do to be successful in that aspect? Well, I think team members need to um, ask for clarity, right? So, you know, why is this work important? Is it important? Let's talk about that. And to bring up these questions, right? What are the rules of the road here? Are we going to, I would like to hope that we're going to welcome challenge, right? It is obviously up to the leaders. It's always up to the leaders to create or set the culture, right? It's their part of their job. Um, the, the sort of problem sometimes happens when, for example, there's a mismatch in a perspective around the culture, right? So a team member, uh, suppose they have this idea in their head that we've just been talking about, right? We should have strong challenge. We should be able to disagree with each other. Um, I should be able to and not only uh, able, but encouraged to challenge and ask questions. Goes into a team with a leader who doesn't want questions, doesn't want challenge, and doesn't want any just shut up and, you know, do what I tell you. That's a problem. But team members can initially begin to ask sort of what are the ground rules and begin to sort of uh, test, uh, you know, the extent to which is challenge welcomed here? Um, Is this important work? Um, Let's talk about why it's important. Um, Let's talk about, you know, how we're going to you know, comport ourselves on this team and, and whether who's curious and whether we're going to approach our work with a sense of curiosity that we've talked about. Um, that's my best recommendation for team members to kind of, you can sort of promote this cultural framework that we're sort of talking about on teams by asking questions and, and sort of asking leaders to clarify, you know, what the rules of the road are and, and, and how are we going to sort of operate together? And, and of course, engage. If the work is important, then people will naturally want to engage. When the work is important, people want to be successful. So it's important that team members try to link what the team is doing to so that it's important to them, right? I mean, there's a lot of ways to make work important, right? It's work is important. Important work is something that meaningfully makes a difference. And that could be for your, you know, your organization, your department it could be for yourself, it could be for the world, right? But something that meaningfully makes a difference and, and team members can begin to connect, you know, even if they don't think the work is all that important, it can be important to a team member um, to the extent of, for example, their self-development, right? 
like, well, I know this work isn't all that important, but me accomplishing this is going to help me significantly in understanding X, Y, or Z, right? And so it can be helpful for team members to, even if they don't see the larger importance of the work, to frame it, how is this potentially important to me? I love the connection in almost to what all of us in training often refer to as WIFM, what's in it for me. When working with groups, there is often that connection in you're interested in how your contributions are benefiting the team, how your team members' contributions are benefiting the team. And what I really love is the fact that keeping that in mind can often help with how some of that those conversations, almost that synergy is able to build naturally and lead to high performance. I think that that's some incredible advice. Well, and there's one more point. You know, I think that um, when you talk about the the work being important to the people on the team, not every, not all work, not all important work is going to be important to everybody on your team. And so I always say, you know, we should not be holding people hostage to work that they are not interested in doing. So, and we should be okay with that, right? We should recruit people for our teams purposefully. Say, look, this is the work we're going to, we think this is important and here's why. And if you have someone say, yeah, you know, that's not something that interests me or I can't really see the importance of that, that needs to be okay. Voluntelling people to be on teams is not cool, right? We should be, we should be recruiting people to this important work. And if it's not important to that person, that's okay because we theoretically have a lot of different kinds of work we're doing in our organizations. Now, if you have somebody who is not, doesn't find anything that you do important, then you have a different problem. And you could address that through, you know, your performance management programs or something. But, you know, uh, finding, uh, vectoring people towards work that they uh, find important is important. And we should do more of that. We should do less voluntelling and more actively recruiting people to our teams to find people who, you know, the work resonates with and not hold people hostage to work that they're just not interested in. I love that. It's so empowering when you think of it from that perspective. It really empowers people to bring their skills and really bring their best to the teams that they're on. I am so glad that you were able to share so much with us today. And I'm even more glad that we are not done asking questions of you yet. At the end of every episode, we like to ask our guest five rapid-fire style questions. Each one of these questions takes no more than 60 seconds or so to respond, and I am so excited to get your insights on each one of them. So what do you think? Are you ready for some rapid-fire questions today? I'm ready for rapid-fire. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> all right. Your first question. Give us one book that all TD professionals must read and why. Um... The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Now, I don't need to sound pretentious by saying that, but I think that we spend, we, we neglect a lot of these, these, these works, these classic works that are essentially the distilled wisdom of 10,000 years of human civilization at our peril. And I think we spend a lot of time reading quote unquote leadership books all the time. And that's cool. But, um, you know, you can really get a lot of incredible insights from some of these books. And like The Wealth of Nations to me is, is one of those that really gives you an enormous amount of insight into sort of why people do what they do. And that 
really helps us as L&D and organizational development professionals. I can certainly attest to the fact that it is well worth the time to read The Wealth of Nations, having done so myself. And I'm thrilled to hear that as your selection. That's a great one. All right. Give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. Um, uh, Intent-based leadership. I don't know if you've heard heard of this, but the, the, it, I just heard of it not too long ago, and I think it's been around for a while. But intent based leadership is uh, I, I I read about it and I found it uh, immediately compelling. You know, it, it's really about driving uh, decision making in the organization down to the to the level where the information is right. So empowering people lower in your organization. Um, it's about not telling people what to do, but asking people what they intend to do, or people. Uh, come to you and say, I intend to do this. Um, so it really, imp- it, it's a mechanism that helps to drive that decision-making down into the organization that I think is is always been, is almost always beneficial. That's a great one to consider. Yeah, I've written that down. You're right. I've heard of it, but definitely need to spend a few more minutes digging into that concept. That's terrific. All right. What is the best piece of talent development related advice you've ever been given? The best piece I've ever been given is find the root cause. I see so many organizations developing solutions for symptoms and not the root cause. And I had a mentor, you know, many years ago who who kind of talked about that. And it is so true. Like, spend the time to find the root cause. I'll give you a real quick example. I had a client who... um, the uh, sort of middle-level managers were not developing their people uh, effectively. So the answer was, well, we have to develop a training program to develop those mid-managers so that they can develop people effectively. And that sounded good on its surface, but the real root cause was that senior leadership was not holding these middle managers accountable to develop their people. That was the root cause. The training wasn't going to solve it if that root cause wasn't fixed. And so, you know, I see example of example of this, you know, over my career all the time. Find the root cause. I bet if we were to ask every listener today if they could relate to that, the answer would just be a resounding yes. I am so glad you mentioned that. That is fantastic advice. Something I think a lot of organizations could benefit from. All right. (laughs) What is one thing you're excited about that's coming up in 2021? I think um, what I'm excited about and I think what's going to be critically important is navigating hybrid work models. The world has fundamentally changed, I think, in terms of how people work. Uh, I, I talk to so many people who say, you know what, I am never going back five days a week and driving an hour <laughs> and a half away. And, I, and, you know, and they're serious. And I think, you know, in the end, I guess if, if it came down to it and it was just you couldn't find a remote job or a hybrid job, they probably would because, you know, they need a job and they need to pay their bills. But I think that there is enough people that are like, I'm not doing that anymore. And I think there's enough companies that are recognizing the value of those models, right? Like, uh, there's so many, you know, there's so many benefits. Um, so I think navigating that is going to be um, an exciting thing, like trying to figure that out. We've got a lot to learn and a lot of organizations who are excited to get started. I think you're totally right. All right. Last question for you. What is one thing within our industry that you're deeply grateful for right now? 
Um, I think, you know, just the connections. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and it's very interesting to, to watch the sort of growth of, uh, of this industry of organizational development, talent development, L and D. When I first started, this was a very niche sort of thing. Most companies didn't even have people that did this. We've seen, uh, you know, an explosion of this over the last, you know, decade or decade and a half. And I think that, um, you know, the, I'm grateful for for all the people that are engaged in this work. Uh, the level of uh, the people willing and eager to share their ideas and uh, network together and 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 you know come up with different things, I think is is has been pretty amazing to watch. I especially love that one of the first things you started sharing at the beginning of today's episode was really about community. And that really is what it comes down to, isn't it? The community and the connections and the opportunity to build together and share and learn from one another. I think it's one of the parts of our industry that I value the most, too. So I I think that that's a fantastic thing to be grateful for. Thane, we're so happy you joined us today to share your wisdom with us. It's been very insightful. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Good. And thank you, ladies. Many thanks to our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Helena? Enjoyed what you learned in today's episode? Go to the Metro DCATD LinkedIn page and share your learning with us. Hashtag Beltway Broadcast. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review.